Thanks, Sophie, for reading the Bible for us. Um, yeah, please, please keep your Bibles open as we unpack God's Word together. And why don't we pray to Him now so that um, He can help us. God, thank you for your Word. Um, and yeah, thank you that you speak to us. And we just pray that you help uh, yeah, me to speak clearly and faithfully so that we can understand your Word well and have our hearts changed to love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever had a stranger telling you that they love you? Maybe it's on the radio, uh, or one of those YouTube hosts who ends his show saying, I love you all. Do these moments take you back a bit? Like, how do you love thousands or tens of thousands of people who you never met and know nothing about? See, our desire to be loved is tied with our desire to be known. And I think that the Christian circle gets this. See, when I became a Christian in uni and started coming along to uni church, I found that people at church say, I love you, way less than my old uni friends. <laughs> and that's not because the people here at Evie love me less. I actually feel more loved by them. But because we know that loving someone takes knowing them personally, spending time with them and understanding them, it doesn't come naturally. It takes energy, effort, and it's hard. So today, as we come to this psalm, we meet a God who knows everything about us. And this is the first point if you're taking notes. Read with me from verse 1. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You, have, you know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You're, always, you're aware of all my ways. In just two verses, David used four perceiving words. God knows, understands, observes, and is aware of everything we do and every thought we have. And each of these four words provides a different flavor or nuance of how God perceives. See, there's a difference between knowing and understanding and observing and being aware. And I think David's trying to show us that like how north, east, south, and west covers all the directions. God's perception covers every angle. And this is not just limited to what can be seen. Seen verse 4, Before a word is on my tongue, he knows about it, Lord. He knows what you will say, what went through your mind, what you chose not to say, and why you have decided to say what you've said. God knows everything, whether they can be seen or are hidden. God is all-knowing. And David here is understanding afresh just of how big God is, and he is in awe of that. See in verse 6, this wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. I cannot possibly comprehend or imagine the endless capacity of God and his omniscience and his own knowingness. It takes so much effort just to know one person. Like, how long does it take someone to learn how you like your tea or your coffee order? Or how long does a friendship need to be before you can finish each other's sentences? See, my wife S and I were at the Maturing Your Marriage course last week, uh, where they talked about active listening and empathy, like how understanding the other person is more than saying what they've said to you back at them, but connecting with them emotionally, feeling what they feel. And this takes a lot of effort. Yet one of the attributes we see about God is that He is not like us. God sees everything and can recall everything about you and me, every deed or action that we did or didn't do, every motivation, every thought we've ever had. 
And this can seem a bit big brotherly at first, um, and I think David is feeling this a little bit too. Let's read on from verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? David tries to flee from God, but whether he goes up to heaven or down to Sheol, the depth of the dead, or traveling east to west, or even runs to the darkness where there is no light, God is there. There is no escape from God. He is everywhere. He is omnipresent. But did you see how David responded to that? Even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. See, God is not a big brother who watches over you. He leads and holds on to you. So how would knowing this change you? Are there times in life where you feel like you're struggling alone? Where you felt so alone or abandoned? Psalm 139 reminds us of the fact that God is there. He is everywhere. Are you aware of God's presence? Is your knowledge of His presence as good as knowing where you'll stop getting Wi-Fi in your house? <laughs> See, our need for our Wi-Fi is so great that we're actually acutely aware of its presence, and its absence makes us miserable. Do you cherish God's presence as much as you cherish your Wi-Fi coverage? Does not getting a signal with God leave you restless or hopeless? See, God's coverage is greater than any Wi-Fi network on earth can offer, even Elon Musk's Starlink. There's no dead zone with God. But the ironic thing is that when I was preparing this sermon, I was not tuning into God's presence. There was a lot of stress and anxiety. I was worrying about doing a good job, worrying about that if I don't perform, if I don't show Austin that I have a potential to teach, maybe I should just end my apprenticeship right here. <laughs> I was staring into God's word, but trying to do it with all my own strength. It's until one morning when my brain was, had been spinning all night for this sermon that I realized I have not asked God to help me in this. I know God sees me and is with me, yet it takes me so long to ask for his help. And I wonder if this is something you do too. In your day-to-day -day activities, or even when you are doing all the Christian stuff like reading the Bible or serving others, um, have you completely missed the fact that God is right here with you, waiting for you to ask for his help so that he can lead you and hold on to you? Are you living the Christian life on airplane mode? So the next time you notice this, pray to him. And all that you do, live knowing that there is no dead zone with God and he is with you. But why does God care for us? Why does he pursue us? See how David gives a reason in verse 13. For it was you who created my inward part. You knit me together in my mother's womb. The reason why God cares is because he made us. Because when you were in your mother's womb, he knitted you. Your bones were not hidden from him. Verse 15. And, your eyes saw, and his eyes saw you when you were formless. He was there. You are his, you belong to him, and this is why he cares. And this realization causes David to respond in praise. See with me in verse 14. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. We are remarkably and wondrously made by God. Let's just take a step back and reflect on this. 
The human body is made up of 11 organ systems, skin, skeletal, muscular, nervous, endocrine, cardiovascular, lymphatic, respiratory, digestive, urinary, and reproductive system. So each of these systems are made up of organs, which are made up of different types of tissues, which are made up of different types of cells. And there are about 200 different types of cells in the human body, which I'm not going to list. But just to give you an idea of how complicated the, human, the adult human body is, we are made up of about 30 trillion cells. That's 30 million million cells, three with 13 zeros after it. And each of these cells all needs to come together in a certain way in the, for the body to be healthy. And any misarrangement in our cells results in a serious disorder, and that's why it's called a disorder, right? So, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> so when was the last time you marveled at God's creation? When was the last time you felt wonder from God? That you were just in awe of how big He is and how small you are. But knows that He cares about you. The creator, of, the creator of the universe who knitted you cell by cell in your mother's womb, he cares for you. So do you like David praise God for this? Do you like David treasure how infinitely big God is? God made you, and he knows your entire life. See with me at verse 16. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God planned your entire life, from one cell at your conception to 30 trillion cells. There isn't a moment in your life that's a surprise to God. And David treasures this deeply. It's on the screen. Verse 17, God, how precious are your thought to me? How vast the sum is. If I counted them, they will outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. Do you sense the security this brings? To have all your life known by God before it even started, that from day zero, the moment you were conceived, He knows. He's there. He intended it. You are His creation. And when you wake up, He is still with you. This is such an important truth because regardless of how you and I are made, we're no accident to God. I'm not sure if you guys have done this with your friends where you try and uh, figure out when you were conceived based on your birthday. Like, those born in September are New Year babies, and those born in November might have been made on Valentine's Day. And of course, there's a few babies in our midst we, who we know are a blessing from the COVID lockdown. <laughs> See, for me, it's, it's only recently that I've realized my birthday is about nine months after my parents' anniversary. <laughs> yep, I'm a honeymoon baby. <laughs> And the last time I went home, I, I mustered the courage to ask my mom if she thought I was a mistake. And her answer was, you and, your dad and I decided to keep you. <laughs> <laughs> so, in other words, yeah, for sure, I was a mistake. But hey, they decided to keep me. <laughs> I still don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> but I can turn to God because of the truth of the psalm. Is that... The truth of the psalm is that nobody is a mistake from God's point of view. This is such an important truth that every single one of us was planned when we were at our most fragile 
Before our parents began to consider what to do with us, how to name us, our wonderful God has purposely planned us and fashioned us in the womb. He cares. We matter. You and I matter to God. So do you ever, from time to time, so take, talk, take stock of your life and wonder what your life is about? Like those moments when you're waiting in the mall or the airport, when you look around and realize that you're just one of eight billion people on the face of the planet, where you, re- where you wonder, what difference does my life make? Does anyone really know or care about me? I'm working hard, um, but it doesn't feel like I'm getting anywhere. Maybe if you underappreciated, overlooked, underpaid, or even unnecessary, that life can just feel like a mouse running on the wheel of the same old, same old. So what's the point? Why are we here? Does God even care? Hear the truth of the psalm, that the all-knowing, ever-present God who created you and knitted your 30 trillion cells have purposefully placed you here. And he has carefully mapped the details of what will fill our days, ordaining what will happen and what will not happen. God has created each day of our lives, tailoring circumstances, establishing boundaries, and fashioning opportunities for His glory and our good. God doesn't just set your life in motion and look the other way. His thoughts are on you constantly. And if this isn't enough, He has proved His love for you on the cross. The God who made us, the God who gave us life and therefore have every right to take it away, Despite seeing all our failures, all our guilt and shame, he loves us so deeply, so deeply that he chose for his son to die in our place so that we might be reconciled with him. Hear the words in Romans 5. It's on the screen. But God proved his his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if And verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more having been reconciled will we be saved by his life? And this is the comforting words of the psalm, that God will lead you and hold on to you. And as we look to the cross, we know that despite our sins, the God who made us does not stop pursuing us. See, I don't know what everyone is struggling with in this season. Maybe it's mental health where it seems like no one understands or you can't get through to anyone. Know that God is with you. The one who made you understands you. He's walking alongside you, meeting you at where you're at. So turn to him. Maybe you're someone here who's been wronged or unfairly treated where you feel like no one's on your side and you need someone to stand up for you, then know that God is your witness and he has been keeping a record of all the wrong done against, done against you and will one day avenge for you. Or maybe you're the person guilty of wrongdoing. Then know that God is there when you've committed evil and that all vengeance belongs to him. So repent while you still can and know that he is faithful to forgive you. Or maybe you're someone where your guilt makes, you, makes God feel so distant, 
that you can't approach him, that you cannot be in his presence, then know for sure that he is right here, leading you and holding on to you if you would just turn to him. Our God is the one who made us, who knows us and who is with us. He wants you to be his child and his friend. So how should we respond? Let's see how David responded. You will notice that as we come to the last part of, of this psalm, there is a very abrupt change in tone, and the sound of these words can be very hard to say. It's on the screen. Verse 21. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. I think what's happening here is, as David is reflecting on how big God is and just how much he, God cares for him, he wants to be sure, be so sure that he is with God. And David here is pledging his allegiance with God by hating what God hates. But even that, these are still very strong words that can be hard for us to say. And I think it's right for us to feel that way. So let me try and explain how we should apply this to us. So here we need to read carefully with the lens of the whole Bible and understand the difference between David's time zone and ours. See, David here was Israel's Messiah, the anointed king. And as the head of God's nation, Israel, God's enemies are David's enemies. But for us, uh, who live on this side of the cross, we're told that the enemies are the power of sin and Satan, the parents of this world. And earlier we read in Romans that Christ died for us while we were all God's enemies. And Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount is for us to love our enemies and bless those who persecute us. So how do we put these two together? I think the way we do it is to see that David is speaking here as the Messiah, and Jesus is the fulfillment of this part of the psalm. So as the Messiah, Jesus will hate those who, cons- who will consistently keep on rejecting him and his father. So that that's Christ, not us, who will hate his enemies. All the way to hell if they do not repent. So if you find yourself today, friends, thinking, am I on the wrong side of Jesus? Then get on his right side by simply trusting and obeying him, surrendering to him once and for all. But for us who have, who have pledged our allegiance with Christ Jesus, let us adopt the same posture as David by hating Satan and putting sin to death. And I know this still sounds very intense, but hear the word of Jesus himself. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And this brings us to David's second response, for God to search his heart. Read it with me in verse 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my consent. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. David here is seeking to eradicate anything in his own life that might hinder the life-giving relationship with God. Friends, what are some things that are hindering your relationship with God? What's stopping you from enjoying His presence? 
What's something that you rather hide from him? Ask the God who knows your heart to help because he is with you and he loves you. But this can be such a scary prayer to pray because for me, I know there are sins in my life that I'm just tempted to not eradicate. Sins that brings pleasure to me uh, where I'm tempted to be on the other side of God. What might they be for you? And if you're like me who is frustrated and hate the fact that we enjoy sin, then let us ask God to help, to search our hearts, to help us hate sin with extreme hatred so that we may walk as someone who is looking forward to the day where we will sin no more, where we will see our King face to face. Let's see the word in Revelation. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and He will live with them and he will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. Friends, God's love for us is not just a throwaway line from the radio. He is the one who has known us from our very beginning. He is the one who has watched us all along. He has seen our coming and going, our faithfulness and faithlessness. And despite seeing all the ugly in us, He loves us and He has sent His Son to die for us and has remained present with us. So, would you join with David and me in praising and delighting in this wonderful God, treasuring Him as the one who made you, who is with you, and who knows you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth you've revealed to us, that, um, that you are the all-knowing, ever-present God who created us, and you know us deeper than we can ever imagine, and you care for us better than we can ever care for ourselves. So Lord, we pray with David in this dangerous prayer, prayer that you will search our heart and help us to hasten as you do. And thank you, Jesus, that regardless of how bad we've failed, you have saved us so that we can know for certainty that you will lead us and hold on to us to the day you return. And it's in Jesus' most precious name that we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.